Family and fellow soldiers, I'm the professor, and this is the moment of truth. And now the Friday Crime Report. You know, I normally don't do this, but this one was suggested to me by one of my subs, Saquon Gorman, and it sounded familiar, and after his reminder, I think it's worth covering. So good looking out for him. Tuesday, January 24th, 2023, Duxbury, Massachusetts. At about 6.11 p.m., police in Duxbury, Massachusetts, responded to a 911 call from a man on Sumner Street. His name was Patrick Clancy. He had just returned back home after running some errands that his wife had asked him to do. When he got home, the first thing that struck him was the silence. Patrick Clancy was father to three young children, so silence was something that was totally alien to the Clancy household. Patrick went upstairs and found blood on the floor. He then looked out of an open window and saw the body of his wife, 32-year-old Lindsay Clancy, on the ground with cuts on her that didn't seem to be bleeding. He rushed downstairs to tend to her and asked his wife what happened. Lindsay said she had tried to commit suicide by cutting herself and then jumping out of a window. Patrick asked her where the kids were. She told him, in the basement. Patrick went down into the basement to find his children, but no one answered when he called out. Then he came upon the horrifying scene of all three of his children's bodies, lying motionless with exercise bands wrapped around their little necks. The victims were five-year-old Cora, three-year-old Dawson, and eight-month-old Callan. Patrick Clancy began to scream in anguish as he removed the bands from the children's throats. He yelled so loudly he could be heard outside. He screamed as he pleaded for his children to breathe. First responders arrived at the house and he yelled, she killed the kids. All three of the children's bodies were taken to the hospital. Cora and Dawson, the two eldest children, were pronounced dead. The youngest, Callan, was airlifted to a hospital. In a press conference, the DA said that he didn't know the baby's exact condition, but ominously he added, we should all be praying for him. Lindsay was also taken to Boston Hospital for her own self-inflicted injuries and was placed under police custody. Ironic, considering that Lindsay is herself a Massachusetts General Hospital employee. Wednesday night, an arrest warrant was issued for Lindsay's arrest. Lindsay Clancy was charged with two counts of homicide, three counts of strangulation, and three counts of assault and battery with a deadly weapon. When Lindsay regained consciousness at the hospital, she allegedly wrote a message on a whiteboard that read, Do I need an attorney? The DA said they would endeavor to bring Lindsay to court to face homicide charges as soon as possible. Thursday night, a candlelight vigil was held as the community came together to grieve and pray for Callan Clancy. On Friday, January 27th, authorities announced that eight-month-old Callan Clancy had died at 11.18 a.m. A GoFundMe had been set up to help Patrick Clancy pay for funeral expenses, medical bills, and legal help. At last count, the fund had accrued well over a million dollars. On February 7th, the arraignment of Lindsay Clancy took place she appeared from her hospital bed on a Zoom call. Her attorney said that she had broken her back during her failed suicide attempt, and she was now a paraplegic. Prosecutors explained what they had so far on her, and by this time, a much clearer picture of the mass killing had emerged. The tragedy had officially begun when Patrick Clancy returned home from the errands that his wife had sent him on. Notice the word errands as in plural. Lindsay asked Patrick to go to the CVS to pick up some items for the kids, as well as get some takeout dinner from a particular restaurant. As investigators found out, these errands and their locations were all part of Lindsay Clancy's meticulous plan 
She didn't actually need anything, but she wanted Patrick out of the house so she could murder the children. Prosecutors say that Lindsay had painstakingly planned this mass killing out, going so far as to use mapping software to track how long it would take for Patrick to run her phony errands that she had sent him on that evening. She knew exactly what she was doing. Prosecutors explained during the arraignment that the children died by ligature strangulation, and it would have taken up to five minutes per child for them to die. This was not some quick and easy process. Lindsay Clancy had to take a lot of time and effort to murder her own children. Prosecutors say that Lindsay killed the children because she'd heard a voice and had a moment of psychosis. Patrick asked what voices Lindsay had heard, and the prosecutor said a man's voice telling her to kill the kids and kill herself because it was her last chance. Lindsay's attorney said that she had been suffering from postpartum depression following the birth of her third child. He claimed that from October to January, Lindsay had been prescribed various mixtures of drugs, including antidepressants, Prozac, Remeron, amitriptyline and trazodone, as well as Seroquel, which is for schizophrenics, as well as Ativan and benzodiazepines. He even claimed she'd been on Valium at one point and even Benadryl. The defense attorney said holding her without bail would be inhumane, and he asked the judge to send her to rehab with a GPS monitor on her as opposed to regular jail. The prosecutors, instead of saying send her to jail, they recommended we'll just send her to another hospital. So since the DA and the defense attorney were both in agreement that Lindsay Clancy shouldn't be spending her time in jail pending trial, the judge ruled she should be sent to an unnamed hospital. This case is still under investigation, but given the way it's developing already, the prosecution seems very disposed to let her have a plea deal. There's a lot of undiagnosed mental disorders in America, but particularly in suburbia. Now, this crime only just happened, and as you can see, even the judge in this case is trying to keep this woman under wraps. But it seems that nobody has yet figured out that that's probably the reason why this keeps happening over and over again. Susan Smith murdered her own children, and then turned around and lied, claiming that a black man had done it. You also have the case of Dante Harden and his siblings, black children who were killed by the white supremacist lesbian couple who had adopted them and also killed themselves in the process. When you combine these incidents with the ones where these suburban or rural fathers killed their entire families, you notice that there's a pattern going on here. To say nothing of the school shooters, time and again from Nicholas Cruz to Ethan Crumley, these killers are caught plotting their massacres long before they actually carry them out. But genetic immunity from law always seems to keep the authorities from doing anything to stop them. There is a long-standing problem going on, and it's not new. It's something this society doesn't want to have to look at or deal with. Because if it was simply a question of breaking up black families, for some reason the authorities never have any problem at all seeing in the social workers, the police, or anyone else at the slightest provocation or none at all. But outside the black community seems there's always nothing they can do until after a tragedy happens. This is about preserving some principle of racially based freedom. Black people are to be constantly surveilled, harassed, restricted, restrained, prosecuted, while others are not, no matter how strange or violent the behavior. The white media and the politicians are trying to save face. The authorities are trying to save racially-based privileges, but none of them are trying to save lives. I'm no psychic, but I've done enough of these crime reports to tell you that if this case is like any of the others that I've covered, we're going to find out that there were warning signs that were there and that they were seen, but nothing was done about it. We get wall-to-wall -wall coverage about a black child who was accused of bringing a gun to school. But of course, we've heard practically nothing about a case like this 
where three innocent children's lives were snuffed out by their own mother who heinously and brutally killed them. We also conveniently don't hear about the suburban and rural fathers who do the same. Yet it seems that if it bleeds, it leads only applies if it's in the black community. People can be aggrieved and angry, but as I've said before and will continue to say, the same way I've said it about these mass killings that keep taking place, if other communities were policed and dealt with like the black community, you'd be seeing a lot less incidents like this. And if my pointing out that fact offends you, then tell me, does it offend you more than three dead little children? And that's this week's Friday Crime Report. Keep your eyes open and stay on alert, because there's a lot worse criminals out there than the ones the white corporate media chooses to show you. Good day, and be one.
Alright, we got some more content from my brother here. Let me go ahead and cue that up. Alright, just 12 minutes.
I think we got another one.
That's my brother Laz. All right, let's see. Uh, got another one. All right.